when a large star reaches the end of its life, it erupts in an enormous explosion. Supernovas are humongously luminous events. Uh, they can outshine galaxies. Though almost incomprehensibly bright, what's visible is only a tiny fraction of what happens. Scientists are using particle detectors and simulations on Earth to unlock the inner workings of these enormous cosmic cataclysms. This week on the Physics Central podcast, how neutrinos are the key to understanding what's happening at the heart of a supernova and how they're radically changing our understanding of how stars die. I'm Mike Lucibella. So Kate Schulberg, who you met at the beginning of the podcast, is an astronomer at Duke University. She's in charge of the Supernova Early Warning System, which is constantly on the lookout for signs of a nearby supernova. The Supernova Early Warning System is an international network of neutrino experiments with the goal of um, being able to alert the astronomical and neutrino community if a burst of neutrinos from a supernova is found. It's a coordination of six established neutrino detectors around the world. Now, they're generally made up of giant volumes of water or mineral oil, with photodetectors in them looking for the rare flash of light from a neutrino striking the nucleus of an atom head-on. There are several detectors in the network, all of which are sensitive to a burst of supernova neutrinos. And uh, they all have their own individual systems for monitoring the data in real time to see if there's a burst of something that looks like a supernova neutrino burst. Neutrinos are made en masse at the core of a giant star when it runs out of fuel and collapses down on itself. You see, a star dies because throughout its life, the exploding energy of the intense thermonuclear reactions in its core are powerful enough to counteract the collapsing effect of gravity. But when a star runs out of its hydrogen fuel, the explosive energy runs out, equilibrium is lost, and gravity takes over. You know, the inner part of the massive star, which is uh, a core composed mostly of iron group nuclei um, that collapses, collapses all the way until the center reaches nuclear density. So density, the same density that, that is present in an atomic nucleus. This is Christian Ott, an astronomer at Caltech. The densities he's talking about are really mind-blowing because atoms are 99% empty space. It's essentially a star with the mass of one and a half times the sun crushed down to the size of Manhattan, forming a neutron star. And when matter gets that crowded, particles start to do things they wouldn't do normally. There's the opportunity for the electrons to be captured onto a proton. So a proton is a positive charge, an electron is a negative charge, uh, has a negative charge, and the electron is going to you know, be captured onto the proton, making a neutron. Uh, but in order to, for, you know, the physics to work out, there, a new particle needs to be made in this process, and that's a neutrino. If all of a sudden multiple detectors see thousands of signature little blips over about 10 seconds, then astronomers know that a star near Earth is in the process of collapsing in on itself. And on average, this should happen about once every 30 years. The last one was in 1987, but that was before the early warning system was set up. And here's the kicker. This is an early warning system. The signal can be seen hours or even days before the bright, brilliant flash of light. Now, if you stop and think about the situation, it kind of doesn't really make sense. Light is the fastest thing in the universe. How is it taking more time for massless light to reach Earth than neutrinos that have mass? Contrary to your Astro 101 lecture, the shockwave actually doesn't initially make it and doesn't blow up the star. Instead, it, it stalls. It, it becomes a standing shockwave because there's still this huge amount of matter from the outer parts of the star raining down on it. Now remember, it's only the inner part of the star that's crushed down. There's still an enormous envelope of the remnants of the rest of the star surrounding it. The inner part of that star, it's about one and a half times the, the part of the, the mass of the sun, collapses. And the outer part of the star is slowly contracting, raining down on that inner collapsed part. 
And so there's this huge pressure from the stellar envelope that's pushing down. And the shock wave that wants to blow up the supernova is held in by this huge pressure of the material pushing down on it. Right. So it's not because the neutrinos are moving faster than the speed of light. Actually, we know now they have mass and so that they are actually uh, moving slightly slower than the speed of light. Uh, but the reason that we see the neutrinos first is that they're able to get out of this really heavy blanket of matter that is uh, basically the, the star's matter that's overlying the core. And so they can, they can escape and so they get out first, but it takes really some time for the shock wave to form and to heat up the matter and, and for the photons to actually get out of the supernova. And so there can be a delay. It depends on the kind of stellar envelope there is. There can be a delay of anything from, from hours to um, maybe even as long as a day. And actually, some supernovae might not even really blow up and just kind of fizzle. With this early warning, astronomers would be able to start scouring the heavens with their telescopes looking for anything unusual. Now, it might be that we don't have a lot of information um, on, a, on a short time scale, and so the astronomers just have to start looking for something. But it might be that all we know is that the, there's been a neutrino bomb going off somewhere in the galaxy, and, and you have to go and look for something. The neutrino signal itself can tell us a lot about what's happening at the core of a collapsing star. So, you know, the neutrino signal will really tell us volumes about what is going on deep inside the supernova. Actually, for, from a fundamental physics point of view of how the supernova works, it will be much more useful than any electromagnetic signal we see with the telescope. You can actually see the collapse happen. You can see really inside the star, in the core of the proto-neutron star, you can actually see what's happening in there. And so you could learn about the explosion mechanism. You can learn um, if something exotic happens. For example, if a black hole forms, you would see that potentially as an abrupt cutoff of the neutrinos. Uh, you would see um, possibly exotic uh, matter formation. There'd be signatures of that. You would see, um, you can also learn about um, how the, the temperatures and so on in there will tell you about um, what, whether heavy elements are being made. So there's really enormous amount of supernova science that you would learn from this. It's really, you know, seeing the whole thing happening in action. This is important because those scientists have been studying them for years. It's not entirely clear why these things blow up in the first place. It's not really understood exactly how supernovae explode, that there are people who do these really complex numerical models of all the physical processes going on in the collapse and then the subsequent explosion, and those are not always successful in actually getting an explosion. Ott knows this difficulty well. He simulated dozens of supernovas. It's kind of his thing. A supernova involves so much physics. It, it has, you know, there's, there's everything in there, all the four fundamental interactions of physics, gravity, electromagnetism, the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force, all of these play a crucial role in a supernova. So we have to build a computer model to do that uh, because of the very complicated physics that, you know, a human being would spend all their life or, and you know, thousands of human lives to do this calculation in detail. So we program a computer to do that for us and we need to make some approximations because there's, there's, limitations to how we can do things. But here's the catch. The better his simulations get, the harder it is to actually make a supernova work in them. Uh, it turns, turns out that um, when, you, when you are cheap, when you want, don't want to invest a lot of computational resources and you run your simulation with a lower resolution, uh, it's actually easier to blow up the star. Now, that doesn't give you an excuse to run things with low resolution because nature has infinite resolution. So you want, to, you want to run a simulation and get an explosion that ha in a simulation with very high resolution. Well, it's not entirely clear why some supernovas explode spectacularly and some fizzle out. 
But Ott has a theory. It goes back to that shockwave that stalls in the stellar envelope that he talked about earlier and what neutrinos do to it. So as the shockwave is stalled or standing inside the star, something needs to happen that re-energizes this shockwave to you know, let it blow up the star. And the way we think this happens, and I really have to say the way we think this happens, because this is, you know, it, it sort of works on the back of an envelope, but if we start doing a very detailed computer simulation, we still have trouble to show that this really happens. Neutrinos are the key to what happens next. Behind the shockwave, there's a region where the conditions are just right for them to be absorbed. And roughly 10% of the neutrinos that come from the deep interior, where there's this thing called the proto-neutron star, which later on will be a neutron star, um, sits, that that's where they're emitted. There's, it's very hot down there. And then they flow out, they fly out, and a fraction, about 10% of them, get absorbed behind the shock wave. Now, they have energy. Neutrinos are, you know, they're particles. They interact very weakly, but they carry energy. So if, you're, if that energy is absorbed, the temperature behind that shock wave goes up. And so that you have basically this boiling region where there's these, these turbulent eddies pushing against the shock wave that's standing and it's getting hotter and hotter. So eventually the shock wave gets re-energized and then um, plows through the star and explodes the star. In a recent paper by Ott in the February issue of the Astrophysical Journal, he suggested that it might be time to fundamentally reevaluate what we think we know about supernovas. Maybe not every giant star is absolutely destined to end its life in a blaze of glory. Maybe it's more random or it's more like a stochastic process that one star has a certain probability to explode, but it might not. And, and that's really a radically new concept uh, because previously we thought, well, you know, stars below a certain mass, let's say 20 times the mass of the sun, they should always explode. And stars more massive should always not explode. Ott is continuing to refine his models, and Schulberg is keeping a careful watch on the skies, waiting for the scientific bounty that the next nearby supernova will bring. Now that's all for this week's Physics Central podcast. You can find more of our podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.